All right. Praise the Lord. If you could take your Bibles, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. I want to talk about an important subject right now. There's a lot of people that are freaking out, a lot of people that are panicked. We have rioting in the streets. We have whole cities sometimes, it looks like, getting burned down. Uh, we have the radical left just, you know, just, you know, wreaking wickedness and havoc by it destroying the buildings of innocent people, killing sometimes innocent people, killing uh, police officers, even though, you know, maybe 1%, if that, of police officers, like any other area of life, you've got your bad apples, uh, the majority of police officers, all officers are considered evil in some way, and that's pretty, that's pretty lame thinking, by the way, just to talk about racism or prejudice against a group and stereotyping, that's radical stereotyping, the, the irony of the whole thing just blows me away, you know, and it's like, well, you know, well, it, you know, they burn, burn out the buildings and stuff, oh, that's just some bad apples, well, you don't like that argument when we talk about the police force and having some bad apples, right? <laughs> but it's, it cuts both ways, guys. There's some real huge problems there. But there's a huge fear of death going on right now. And, uh, and yeah, I do believe, and I've done a lot of messages against racism. I've preached a, a, a number of messages uh, where I may bring up racism or full-blown messages against racism. So the Bible condemns racism, but also condemns anarchy, okay? And it, 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 it condemns the shedding of innocent blood, condemns a lot of things that are going on right now so there's a fear of death in some in, in some quarters especially if you're in the inner city and there's those threats and there's also the fear of death because of plagues and covid going on right now you know a lot of people i mean i saw some footage some time ago where somebody was in a supermarket without a mask and all of a sudden they were surrounded by this person was surrounded by all kinds of people that were screaming and yelling at them and i thought they're gonna lynch the person you know and i was like they're all freaking out because they're afraid they're gonna die you know and there's any number of ways to die, and the Bible teaches that all of us have an appointment with death. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed a man wants to live, or wants to die, but after this, the judgment. So it's not just death, there's also a judgment to follow death, which we need to consider. And there's a fear of death is, uh, there's a lot of fears that are illegitimate, okay? Most of the fears that you have, the anxieties that you struggle over, you'll never face. Do you know that? It's interesting. Most of the things that you think are going to come upon you and you fear, like, I'm going to die this way. Oh, no. Don't happen that way. So, and, and that's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient unto the day are the evils thereof, right? But the fear of death is a genuine fear that humanity should have because it takes the life of everyone. The, the mortality rate uh, regarding death is still 100%. Amen. You can't show me somebody that's, you know, just mere human being that's been alive for thousands of years. Okay? We're all going to die. And you know what? Especially if you don't know the Lord, you ought to fear death because it's a reality. And praise God, as a Christian, we should be encouraged that we don't have to fear death. You know? It's really heavy when you think about it. Really profound. And uh, so I want to encourage you to really consider some of the scriptures we're talking about uh, and, and how we can overcome the fear of death. Because right now you might be, oh, I'm fine with death. Well, even the psalmist, you know, and the biblical writers at times talk about being concerned about the fear of death. And there'll be times in your life where you can go through different crises that you don't see coming where you fear death more acutely than others. And it's good to be armed with the scripture and how we apply those scriptures to our lives to really encourage us 
to overcome the fear of death. And so you could also help others that you may be counseling who struggle with the fear of death or the fear of suffering, uh, the fear of the unknown and what have you. There's many scriptures that are very helpful. And my prayer was to really encourage the fellowship today regarding this issue. It's very relevant. Uh, it's going to, when you look at the horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation chapter 6, many of us believe that we're heading toward the end days. Uh, not that that will all happen in our lifetimes, but ha, looks a lot closer than it did yesterday, doesn't it? Or a year or two ago, right? Pretty crazy what's going on. And I will be doing a full-blown message on the end times again uh, in a couple weeks or so where I'm just hitting all kinds of different subjects and one message that you can hand out to people you can listen to that'll just hopefully not dizzy your mind too much because there'll be a lot of scripture there but it'll be like whoa man look at what's going on and what the scriptures say and the evidence of the scripture because prophecy is one of the great evidences of God's inspired word so the fear of death guys from childhood as children begin to grow cognitively and uh, you know out of infancy you know uh, they'll begin to, you know, Charlotte, little baby Charlotte, right? Right now, not a whole lot of fear of death, cuddling with mommy, cuddling with daddy, you know, but as she gets older, all of a sudden, she'll be afraid of certain things, right? Which is natural to a degree. Uh, monsters, you know, and monsters don't exist like in Hollywood, but there's a demonic realm. Afraid of the dark because of what may lurk in the dark. This is what happens with kids, right? I have a few kids and they have these little fears and God uses those things to drive us into his hands to show us that we live in a real world and into uh, the parents' arms as well. So it's interesting, they'll be afraid of big dogs, you know, kids, uh, because these things are considered uh, threats, you know. As, as they grow older uh, and we get older, we become fearful of, well, adults are afraid of many, adults are afraid of spiders and snakes too, right? But, uh, you know, older people will be afraid of heights, uh, at times, uh, you know, terrorist attacks uh, like 9-11 brought a lot of fear on this nation. It looked like the nation was ready to turn to Jesus for a few days before they, far, they forgot about their mortality, you know. Uh, so it's interesting when you think about the fear of death that is, you know, people wear sunscreen. Why? Because they don't want to ca cancer and they don't want to die, right? People obey traffic laws. Typically, they just don't run through red lights because you fear uh, death, you know, and there's a healthy caution we should have regarding death, but we should not have a fear and trembling as Christians. We need to be wise about uh, avoiding death, but as far as fearing it as though uh, it's going to doom us forever, that's not the way it is for the believer. In fact, the Bible says that, the, that death is an enemy, okay? It says death is an enemy in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, it's called the last enemy. Death is called the last enemy. Death is not normal. It's not what should happen to us. In fact, I remember doing a Resurrection Sunday message, and my mother-in-law, Adele, thank you for praying for her, because my mother-in-law had a breast cancer. They got the, all the breast cancer out, and they also had done a biopsy when they took the breast, the, the lump out, and uh, had it metastasized. They didn't find it in lymph nodes, so that's very, very good news, and, and so thank you for praying for her. But I remember after that message, uh, she came on a Resurrection Sunday when people tend to come that don't typically come, right? And Lisa and I went and visited her not long after that. And, and she was like, I didn't know we die because of sin. I didn't know that's why we die, because of sin. I didn't, I was, didn't know why death came into the world. And wow, that's in, she goes, that's interesting. And, I, and sometimes as Christians, we just take for granted that the world knows some theological truths that they don't typically know, you know? And they, they fear death and they don't even often know that the reason 
uh, death is such an enemy to the human race and there's so many tears at a funeral is because God created us to know him. And the Bible says he put eternity in our hearts, amen? We have a desire to live forever, you know? And we have a desire to be one with, with our creator, which ought to, as believers we do. Uh, non-believers don't because they don't want to typically count the cost and surrender a life of wickedness. But uh, we as Christians, now I'm speaking, we want to be with the Lord forever, but people, even at funerals, they're cut off from other people, and, and that's not the way it, it was supposed to be. But God knew what would happen. He knew humanity would turn from him, but he has a plan, the redemption that comes through Christ. And uh, to create humans in his image, knowing that they couldn't handle the power to be his image bearers and would misuse it, but because he wanted people to be like him, not as gods, not even as little gods, but as humans created in his image and to have a relationship with him to reciprocate his love and know him for eternity. He still made them, knowing he would rebel against them, we would rebel, but he had a plan through Christ to redeem us and save whosoever would come and whoever would come and come to him and have a changed heart and have the Holy Spirit and, and, and continue in the faith that they it would eternally be with him because guess what? They bowed the knee to him and said, I will submit to you with the power you've given me to live in your image and to love, and I will love you back. And he has a great plan. It's a beautiful, beautiful plan. But in the midst of that, we're in the midst of that plan right now where death is reigning over uh, the human race, but Christ came to destroy the last enemy. Death says in the scripture in the first Corinthians 15, he, uh, the Bible says very clearly in first John chapter three, I believe it's verse eight, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The Bible says that he will destroy the last enemy, which is death in first Corinthians 15. It's all very, very good news. The Bible tells us as Christians, a lot of people don't want to think about death. They'll, they, they'll do a lot of drugs. They'll do a lot of things to escape. They'll try to entertainment and just not face the reality that that's what's coming up. As sure as retirement comes up for people, if you live long enough and don't have death first, death comes up on the heels of retirement typically. Well, always. Just depends how fast. And it's something that just as someone prepares for retirement, how much more should they prepare? The Bible says, Amos, prepare to meet your God. That's what you should prepare for even before retirement because retirement is just for a short little... Mm, blip of time compared to eternity death and eternal separation from god is forever and ever and ever and then ever and ever i mean it just continues so you want to make sure you know god that's the wisest thing to do that's why the bible says in ecclesiastes chapter three that it's better to go to a funeral than a party why because it's at a funeral that you begin to take account of your life and realize that you're going to face death and it makes you wise it says party doesn't make you really that wise usually a funeral makes you think about death and contemplate the meaning of death and contemplate the fact that you're going to face death. And the Bible says that the psalmist talks about teach me to number my days. Meaning understand that I'm fragile. I'm not going to live forever. Teach me and I'll understand my days. But he says that I might prepare a right heart before you. In other words, the fact that we're going to face death should cause us to uh, contemplate the fact that we're going to stand before God. And what's interesting is many people, this is a reality, guys. When people fear death, guess what? It's not just because they're dying. It's not just because they're going to miss their loved ones. It's not just because whatever pleasures and whatever things they esteemed in this world as something they won't have anymore. But people have an acute, intuitive awareness that there's some kind of judgment. There's, there's some kind of accounting. In fact, over and over and over and over again, when people are dying, they don't talk about how they're going to miss watching Monday Night Football. 
They don't talk about they're going to miss golfing. They're all of a sudden concerned about how they treated people. It's almost invariable. They're concerned about the legacy they've left, how they were toward other people. They're afraid of, uh, am, am, I, am I good to die right now? Why? That's something God put into us intuitively. There's so many things we can learn uh, that match Scripture, that line up with Scripture. In fact, that we have a moral conscience, that people have consciences, that people have free will. Okay? Some philosophers like to explain away free will and just talk about some kind of materialistic biological determinism. But guess what? We know intuitively we have free will. That's why every court you go to, every judge, every lawyer, they recognize that people are responsible for what they do. And the more responsible and the more heinous the crime, the more time they get. And sometimes a judge will say, sir, you have no conscience, you know. And we're born with conscience. Con means with, right? Shince, science, means knowledge. We're born with knowledge of good and evil. Okay? Everybody, for the most part, will react when they see somebody being bludgeoned, an old lady in a purse taken from her, kicked in the head over and over again. We'll say, that's wrong! Well, how do you know that's wrong? Can you differentiate between whether Hitler was a good person or not? And somebody who loves and goes on the mission field and lives to extricate people from poverty and, and gives their lives to, to love people? Yeah, people typically can. Even the atheist will say, constantly talk about what's right and wrong. You steal a stereo. That was wrong. Wait, wait a minute. There's no God. There's no transcendent objective morality of, of right and wrong. And it's just law of the jungle. You should just accept it. No, that's not how it works. We know there's right and wrong. We have a conscience. In fact, people that deny right and wrong and deny a conscience and don't live by a conscience and just do evil, they're considered psychopaths or sociopaths. They're considered evil. And Ted Bundy was an interesting guy because Ted Bundy is one of the most noted serial killers in our nation. And he talks about how early on when he was first doing it, doing his killings, he had a conscience. He knew it was wrong. But he did it anyway. Jeffrey Dahmer, who cannibalized a bunch of young people, sodomized a bunch of young guys and stuff. And uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, one of the most notorious serial killers, he talks about how he felt bad at first when he killed the dog on purpose. And he started going to church because he knew deep down it was wrong. He had a conscience. So it's not that these guys are born without a conscience. The Bible says you can sear your conscience as with a hot iron. You can burn it. Just like you have an idiot light in your truck or your car that goes on and says, hey, your engine's getting really, really hot. And you could ignore it and then really get tired of it, take a hammer out and just smash it out and say, I don't like that idiot light. It's called an idiot light for a reason, you know, and you get rid of it, you know. I'll call it myself. If I break it out, I'd be an idiot, okay? That's just what I would be doing. But if I pull over and say, man, I got to deal with this problem before my engine burns up. Well, we have a conscience. And the Bible says you can sear your conscience with a hot iron. You can, so it doesn't work anymore. And you could do that through just ignoring it and through drugs, through philosophy, uh, all kinds of different means. In fact, Aldous Huxley, uh, grandson of, you know, well, you got Julian Huxley and the others. He admitted, he said, the sexual revolution, he goes, a lot of it was because we didn't want to believe in a God, you know? Because the, the, the idea of a God and more accountability meant we couldn't do the things we wanted to do and live for pleasure. Basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's a really powerful long quote, which I'm not going to give the whole quote, but I've read it before. It's pretty, pretty crazy. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that the intricacy 
of what God has made, the beauty, the majesty is so powerful. I mean, I can't make, can any of you make out of nothing, make a, a grain of dust? Because before you had matter and before you had time, right? Before you had space, there was nothing. And cosmologists now pretty much virtually agree that there is a beginning. Einstein called it his greatest blunder. What? The idea of a, an eternal constant. The idea that the universe always existed. Before I knew Christ, when I was in the occult and I was channeling lyrics from spirits and didn't even believe in Satan and the demonic realm or anything like that, one of my lines was, nothing never was and always ever is. Nothing never was and always ever is. That was a lie, okay? Because uh, we're, there's a creation point. There's a point where everything comes into existence. You see, time, matter, and space. And when you think about it, the Bible says that when you reject that reality of the creator, and I can't, you can't even make a grain of dust from nothing, okay? And you reject that creator, and you look at all the trees and the beauty and, the, and, and you know, design, you know, uh, just the way we're made. It's just mind-blowing. Now, we're fallen creatures, you know, because of sin. But it says we're without excuse if we reject God. So, but I thank God there's a God. Amen. <laughs> I thank God that I could have eternal life. I don't look at it as, oh, I've got to, I look at it as, thank God we can live forever. Amen? Amen. What a beautiful reality, you know. And we're fearfully and wonderfully made, guys. I was watching a video on YouTube where there's a huge celebration in Switzerland because it was the longest tunnel, seven, or 35 miles long. I think they said 57 kilometers, so I you know, did the math, you know. Oh, 35 miles long. The deepest tunnel ever made under the Swiss, some of the Swiss Alps. Pretty radical feat. Took them 17 years. They, the uh, train could go 205 miles underneath that thing. Saves you an hour time. You don't get the scenic route and all the beauty that you'd get in Switzerland because it's so beautiful, but you get an hour, just over an hour shaved off your time. And you know what? I was watching this video and they, were, they, they drill on two sides of the Alps when they make these tunnels. They go on both sides of the Alps and usually tunnels are a lot smaller than this. How many have gone to the beach through Canaan, right? Oh, cool tunnel. That's nothing, man. This is 17, or I'm sorry, 35 miles long. And they're showing, they, they dig one area and then they're waiting because they're going to have a celebration and they, they're waiting for the drill bit to come through the other side. Now this drill bit is a subterranean drill bit that's several times my height, just way up there and round. And all of a sudden you see, they've got writing on the wall, all of a sudden you see this drill bit come through the wall. And there's this huge celebration. Dancing construction workers, you know, angels, fluffy things with like shredded paper, like, I don't know what they were, like sea anemones or something. I don't know what they were, dancing around. And they're all celebrating, singing, because this great engineering feat. And guess what? That's a pretty cool engineering feat. Would you agree? That's pretty radical. I was thinking, man, that's pretty radical. And they're all celebrating. You had, you know, Merkel, the leader of Germany there, leader of France there, leader of Belgium there, leader of Italy there, leader of Switzerland there. And they're all celebrating and talking and stuff. And it's this big deal. And I say, it is pretty big deal relative to, you know, me digging a hole in my backyard. But compared to what God has done, who gets no glory and credit, it's not a big deal at all. I mean, think about it, man. It's, it's really crazy uh, when you think about these things, you know. Uh, now, it's interesting. What if I told you you had an optic nerve 
going from each eye when you were born. And that optic nerve started growing from your eye toward your brain, burrowing through the flesh. And the optic nerve also went from your brain, just like the tunnelers, right, from your brain toward the, toward the optic nerves that are coming out of your eyes, right? And that those two optic nerves from both ends had to meet for you to see properly. When you think that's an accident, by the way, we're not talking about a dead tunnel. We're talking about a living optic nerve, and they met. Would that be crazy? Well, guess what? You don't have just one of them. You have over a million of them coming from your brain and coming from your eyes when you're born, and they start going toward each other. And they don't just meet. They have to meet their match, a million of them. And then they have to meet their match, and when they meet their match, then the baby can see perfectly if the baby has what's considered quote-unquote perfect sight. That's something I think we should also get excited about. Amen? Oh, no, but that was just an accident along with all the other millions of things that need to happen, you know? No, come on, guys. So I get delight when I look at the, the fact that death is an alien thing that happens to us and we have a God of love where we could choose life. That, that God, it says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That if he can make us, and it says he knows, Jesus said the Father knows every hair on her head, amen? And he said they're all numbered. They're all numbered. And he says, Jesus says, the Father sees each sparrow when it dies, when it falls to the ground. And he's concerned about it. He cares about them. He says, how much more does he care about you? Because we've been made in his image, amen? So it gives me joy to see how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And that guess what? He did just make us, you know, uh, to just live and die. And that's it. He made us with a plan with a purpose and therefore we can understand that if we put our trust in him and and we submit to his plan we can celebrate life hebrews chapter 2 hebrews chapter 2 go ahead and pick it up at verse 14 therefore since the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise also partook of the same i mean since we share in flesh and blood he god also partook of flesh and blood he became a man why that through death, that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power over death, that is the devil, the first rebel, and might free those, set them free, free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Isn't that beautiful? That he might free those who through what? FOD, fear of death. FOD is an acronym for the fear of death. And the Bible talks about the fear of death that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. People are enslaved to the fear of death. For surely he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Well, how does he give us help? Go back to chapter 2, verse 9. Same chapter, verse 9. But we do see him, speaking of Jesus, God who became a man, who was made a little lower for a little while, just a little while, God became a man, and now he's still the God-man, but he became a man and lived here a little while, lower than the angels. He's no longer lower than the angels. He's exalted up above every name, the Bible says. Jesus, because of the suffering of death, Jesus, because of suffering death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might what? Taste death for everyone. Aren't you glad he tasted death for everyone? Because God so loved the world amen so he tasted death for each and every one of us that he might deliver us from the fear of death which people fear all their lives like i said even when you're little 
and you're afraid of spiders, and you're afraid of snakes, and you're afraid of the dark, and you're afraid of whatever spiritual realm that you don't fully understand, and you're afraid of strange people, all that comes down deep down to a fear of the threat of death, whether you cognitively understand that or not. And then as you grow cognitively, you begin to experience greater and greater fears, like I said, of germs, of spoiled food, of, you know, wicked people, uh, and so forth. Terrorist acts, all those kinds of things. Now, it's a huge uh, reality that we need to be concerned about. And it's not, it's all, all, Christians can have the fear of death too. They can go through, you know, uh, great joy as they approach death, but also the fear of death can come in. There, you can get their focus off the Lord and so forth. It happens. And it's just, you know, even the psalmist talks about that fear. Uh, Psalm 53, 55 verse 3 and verse 20. The stairs of the wicked, they bring down the suffering upon me. My companions attack, uh, attacks his friends. Men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. Many are attacking me. They conspire, they lurk, uh, they watch my steps. That's Psalm 56, 1 and 2. And Psalm chapter 57 verse 6 says, They spread a net for my feet. They dug a pit in my path. Okay, the psalmist says in Psalm 55, uh, verse 2 and verses 4 through 6. I am distraught. My heart is in anguish within me. Listen to this. I am distraught. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death, the terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I might have wings like a dove, that it would fly away and, and be at rest. And we read David at times throughout the Psalms. He was hunted, remember, by King Saul? Like a wild animal at times. He had to trust the Lord, you know. When I'm afraid, my lament... My tears, Psalm 56, verse 3, verse 8. I am in the midst of lions. I was bowed down in my distress, Psalm 57, verse 4 and following. So it's amazing that we have this fear of death, humans, or we ought to, if we don't know the Lord especially, but we all should be concerned about death. We all should meditate on the reality that we're going to face death. And that should be the biggest thing we're concerned about in regard to eternity but because if you don't have any concern about death <laughs> and you don't know what is it's like going in your backyard and saying oh there's a big blindfold and picking up a big rock and just picking up whatever insects are there and they know oh, everything's good you don't know what's under that rock well when you don't know what's in the next step in eternity there's good and evil in the present world all over the place what's in, e in eternity there's also good and evil now a character in one of Phil Ross' uh, novels uh, deals with the fundamental question of the fear of death and uh, states, in every calm and reasonable person, in every calm and reasonable person, there is a hidden second person scared witless about death. Now that's an interesting quote. So it's interesting because people do, whether they show it or not, or they ought to have a concern, about death and also where what lies beyond death's door now it's interesting when you consider his love and i want to encourage you here's some ways you know we don't specialize in bad news here we specialize in the good news amen the word gospel we're called to preach the gospel throughout all the world that's what they wouldn't do gospel is from the greek word euangelion which means good news amen we preach the good news so we're going to but you can't really understand the good news unless you understand the bad news, right? And 
the good news is that God's given us every reason to overcome the fear of death as those who put our trust in him. Amen? So we can overcome the fear of death by meditating on the love of God. So you, how do you apply this to your life? You meditate upon God's word. His word, Jesus, you meditate on Jesus. Meditate on his kingdom. You know, the scripture is very, very clear throughout over and over again about God's love for us. Amen? In fact, the most quoted verse by far and away is John 3.16. You can overcome death by meditating on the fact that God loves us. The Bible says God has mercy over all of his works. John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. And the next verse is almost as good. He didn't send his Son of the world to condemn the world, but that through what? He didn't send his Son to condemn the world, right? But that through belief in him, what? He would be saved. Amen? What an awesome God we have. Psalm 103, verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, as high as the heavens are above the earth, right? We got a, a, a universe that they believe is 93 billion light years in diameter. It's like, what in the world? And his love is like that. And the Bible says that the heavens, remember we went through this recently, the heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain God. He's bigger than all of it. And when you look at the co- law of cause and effect, the cause is always equal to or greater than the effect. Amen? You look at the universe. Wow, that's power. That's wisdom. We think of all the laws, you know, of physics and just things we know that we kind of scratch and we think we know things, but there's so much more that we don't know. You know how much we don't know about the human brain? It's just mind-boggling. About consciousness. I've read things off and on through the years on human consciousness. And they don't have a clue. <laughs> how does human consciousness come about? Well... We have the law of biogenesis, right? That life begets life. Amen. And I believe consciousness gave us consciousness. Amen. And I believe there, that's some of the evidence there's more of the soul and that we're more than a brain. As Sir John Eccles, who won the Nobel Peace Prize, or not Nobel Peace Prize, he wrote, wrote, won a prize in science as a, as a brain, you know, as a neurologist, you know. And Sir John Eccles, uh, he believed that we were created. And his, his, his research, especially at the end of his life, uh, led him to believe, you know, that, that there's something more than the brain and that there is a consciousness, a mind, a soul using that brain like a computer. However, we found out the brain is far more than a, an advanced computer, right? Because it changes with information. It's dynamic. It's just mind-boggling. But your brain is not the same thing as your mind, biblically. And the scriptures are very clear that when you die, that when the, the spirit leaves the body, the body is dead, but the spirit's still there. Just as if there's no more electricity in a light bulb, that light bulb's uh, not there, but there was more than the light bulb when it was working. And the scriptures say, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Romans 8, 38 and 39, I love this, I love this passage on God's love. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Meditate upon his love and how he loves you. Right? And no created thing, no exterior force can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If you are abiding in Christ, that's where the security and the assurance and the joy is, is faith through faith in Christ. Amen. You can overcome the fear of death by meditating on God's promises to destroy death. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, and 26 
It says, for he, meaning Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I love Isaiah 25, 8. It says, he will swallow up death forever. That's powerful, man. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove their disgrace of his people from the earth. The Lord has spoken. Revelation 7, 17, the last book of the Bible. For the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself like a lamb on the cross for us, at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Understand that even your pains that you go through, the fears, the concerns, the, the heartbreaks will be wiped away. What a beautiful promise. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. I love that, man. Revelation 21.4. The last book of the Bible, the last two chapters specifically deal a lot with this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the, older, or the old order of things has passed away. And what I love about the Bible and I was a huge skeptic. I was giving God the finger, I hate to say. I'm a, absolutely, that's one of the things I'm most ashamed of in the park, getting drunk with my friends, thinking, oh, there's no God, you know? As though I had it figured out in some way. Blaspheming God ignorantly, you know? And not all the time, but I did some, man, and writing songs like, your God is your myth, your myth is your God, disappointment is your friend. You know, be disappointed, no, but it's your friend, the truth will set you free. Just a total twist of Jesus' words. And I even know Jesus' words about how the truth will set you free. You know the truth, the truth will set you free. I was under the power of the evil one until I started realizing and became acutely aware that I opened myself up to very, very dark spiritual forces I didn't believe existed. I'm like, what in the world? There's another reality here, you know? And I cried out to God. And the midst I cried out, and he gave me deliverance. It showed me how powerful he is, how real he was. That happened more than once. And I was 18 years old. And my whole family, of five kids, and, you know, uh, one had just moved to, to Idaho. And uh, Patty, we love her, and Robbie, and their family. And my mom and dad, my dad passed last year, as you know, but uh, many of you know. My mom's still here. All of them came to Jesus one by one, not long after that. I continued to witness to them and share with them. And, and it was neat to see friends come to Jesus because we began to realize, not just me, the others, wow, there's something heavier going on here. It's not about sitting around drinking beer or smoking a joint, man. There's a spiritual reality. There's all these internal things that we know we, that there's, there's these passions people have. We recognize beauty. We recognize the sunset, the sunrise, love, evil. You know, these things that, that science can't explain, you know, that have to do with a consciousness and awareness of a spiritual reality. Now, it's interesting. As I continued to pursue the Lord and began to see him, you know, set me free, when I, I need to say, God, who's the true God? And I, and, I, and I tell you what, I had a head start because all of my demonic channeling of these demonic entities was anti-Christ, anti-the Bible. And I was like, ooh, well, that's everything I was against. And I had to humble myself, open up the pages of this book and realize that I, was, I played the fool. But you know one of the beautiful things I found out about this Bible when I talk about the book of Revelation and that last book and the last couple chapters and how everything's wrapped up? Is I be, when I began reading the Bible, I started, this book is absolutely mind-boggling because it has all these prophecies that have been fulfilled and that are being fulfilled. Israel, what's going on right now? And the potential peace deals and everything else, that's all in the Bible. They'd be center stage in the end times in the Middle East and that other nations around them, many of them would want them destroyed, but there'd be a peace deal made in the end and all these crazy things that they'd cease to be a nation for, and it was almost 2,000 years, right? Then they'd be brought back into the land. Never happened with any other nation like that after that much time. Crazy stuff. I'm not reading. I'm like, whoa, man. 
And God says in the Bible, he goes, I can tell the end from the beginning. And this is how you can know that I'm the one true God because the idol gods that people are bowing down, these statues, they can't tell you the end from the beginning consistently, can they? But he says, I can tell you the end from the beginning. But I began, I'm like, whoa, man. But you know what tripped me out? Was the unity of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books. And when you look at the book of Psalms, it's broken up into five books, really. It's really 70 books. I love that number, right? 70 books. And I'm like, and, and from Genesis to Revelation, written over a 1,500-year period of time, right? By over 40 authors in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Yet there's one message. I'll tell you what, man. Brian, you go to Florida, right? Annie, you go to New York, wear your mask, especially if you're in Como country. Uh, and somebody else, you know, Michael, you stay here in California. You guys all, you can even talk first a little bit. Then you all three write a book together. And you can't talk while you're writing it, but you can talk first and give you a head start. We're going to put your three, you know, your 200 pages with your 200 pages with your 200 pages, and guess what you're going to have? You think it'll be a synthetic, synth we think it'll all fit together? No, it'll be a garbled mess. Guess what? Over 1,500 years apart. Three different languages, over 40 different authors. From Genesis to Revelation, you have one theme, man. And it fits like a hand in the glove in the Old Testament. New Testament fulfills the Old Testament prophecies and so forth. And it's mind-boggling because in Genesis, what do you have? In Genesis, you have paradise and then paradise lost. Death comes in the world. Thorns and thistles come up, right? Uh, all of a sudden, you know, there's mutation in nature, you know. And death comes. And they're kicked out of Eden, right? And then for throughout the rest of the book, you have, it's like any no, really good novel, there's this tension that starts every, there's this tension that happens and what's beautiful kind of gets messed up. And then the rest of the novel is about bringing some kind of resolution. Well, you have the ultimate love story here, man. You have rejecting God and his, and who he is and, and reigning over us. And then you have chaos and setting. And you have all this death and thorns and thistles, as I mentioned. Is this, but guess what? At the end of the book, in Genesis, you, you can't partake of the tree of knowledge, or, I'm, I'm sorry, the tree of life now. God puts cherubim around it, right? Fiery cherubim, you can't touch that tree of life. And you're banished from Eden. You get to the end of the Revelation, the last couple chapters, guess what? Now you have paradise again. Now you have all tears wiped away. No more death. Access to the tree of life. Communion with God. It says God will be with men. Amen. And you have everything fixed and then some because it's even better because now the church, metaphorically speaking, becomes the bride of Christ. Amen. And that's actually more than a metaphor. That's a reality. Okay. And that's, it's all so beautiful. And in between what happens? God becomes a man. He takes death upon himself, the punishment we deserve. He takes the thorns and thistles, the crown of thorns, shoved in his head, mocked and spit upon. And he takes our shame and our sin for us. And he rises again, and we pass from death to life through faith in him. Amen? You can't beat. Hollywood cannot come up with something better than that. It's such an amazing book. But I'll tell you what, man. Meditate upon God's love. Meditate upon God's great plan. Amen? That he has a plan for you, that he loves you, that he cares about you. Meditate. To overcome the fear of death, meditate on God's promises of the resurrection. Okay? Because death is an equalizer, man. The rich and the poor all face death. Alexander the Great asked a noted philosopher who was looking at human bones, and he asked him what he was looking for, and the philosopher replied, that which I cannot find, the difference between your father's bones and those of his slaves. Okay? And I think that's interesting, you know, because death is the great equalizer. I was looking at the Library of Congress's website yesterday, and this quote from Benjamin Franklin is on it. 
And I'd seen the quote, but I wanted to make sure it was a uh, legitimate quote. There's so many quotes that are wrongly given out there. And, uh, when I, and it was there on the Library of Congress as something he had said, which I thought was interesting. He mentioned, and he was a printer at the time when he wrote this, the body, he wrote, he wrote his epitaph, right? For his grave, for his funeral, and so forth. The body of B. Franklin Printer, like the cover an, of an old book, its contents torn out. See, and that's what that's lies here, right? That body, right? And stripped of his lettering and gilding lies here. Food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. I thought that's pretty powerful. Corrected and amended by God in the resurrection he's talking about. Now Benjamin Franklin had some, he was, had some strange beliefs. He wasn't a uh, born-again believer. But it's interesting, he had, at least at that point, you know, faith in the resurrection. It was kind of an interesting quote. We can overcome the fear of death through belief in the resurrection. In fact, one of the most beautiful things in Scripture Jesus says the main sign he gives us is his resurrection, you know. And the Shroud of, shroud of Turin is kind of interesting because it's still under dispute. But to this day, they don't know how it was done. And they, the best explanation they say is that there was some kind of explosion of power, of, of energy that left that. It's not something that was painted on there, was drawn on there. It's an explosion of energy that and they, can't, they can't mimic it. They've tried to mimic it by doing uh, some experiments, trying to do similar things, but they haven't been able to do it with all of our technology, with all of our accumulated wisdom. They can't. I think it's interesting. We don't need the Shroud of Turin, amen? Because guess what? We have literally hundreds of eyewitnesses, and all you need is one eyewitness that's credible to end up in prison for the rest of your life, right? Or exonerated. But Jesus had his apostles, Peter, James, John, Andrew, amen, who were, at, after he was arrested and going to be crucified, they were huddled, they were scared behind the walls, Right? And then Jesus appeared to them a number of times and hung out with them for like 40 days, preparing them to go to the world and instructing them. And it's quite interesting because then you have these same apostles. Read the book of Acts, man. They go to their deaths, many of them, because of that he is risen, amen? And that's not just a testimony, hey, we believe this. That's sealing their testimony. That's the best witness you can get. Sealing their testimony by their blood. And somebody, oh, well, these Muslims, man, they'll kill themselves and they'll kill others and... Hey, they're not doing that. They're doing this because of something they believe. Whether they know it to be true or not, right? They believe it to be true, but they don't have evidence. These apostles would have known whether Jesus rose or not, and they chose to live lives of poverty where they went on missions and they died for their faith. That's credible witness, amen? It's a powerful testimony that he is risen. It's radical. So another way, uh, and Jesus says, because I live, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And it's interesting because we read in Romans 8.23, not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first, have the first, first fruits of the Spirit, groan, this is 8.23 Romans, groan inwardly. There's an inward groaning we have because we're, we're, we're in these bodies of death. As we wait eagerly for the, our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As Christians, our bodies await their redemption. Our spirits, we've been saved spiritually. The Bible says to be absent from the body when you die is to be present with the Lord. Amen? That sh you should rejoice in that. But guess what? When you physically die, you physically die because your bodies have not been resurrected yet. These faith healers on television, oh, God always heals. That's a lie. That's not in the Bible. 
God does not always heal. Now, he'll always heal the believer ultimately at the resurrection, but we still await it. The Bible says that the cosmos is wearing out like a garment. It's called entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. It's wearing out, okay? Like the Bible says over again, it's it says that the cosmos, the universe is spreading out like curtains, but it says that it's also wearing out like a garment, okay? And that all of creation, the Bible says in Romans 8, all of creation is groaning to be delivered. But the, the same passage in Romans 8 says that we are waiting the redemption of our bodies. And that's a beautiful reality. Romans 6, 5 says, If we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, meaning we identify with what he did on the cross for us in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Certainly. I love that. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. 5.4 says, For while we are in this tent, this human body, we groan and are burdened. Right? We're beset sometimes by sicknesses, by diseases, by ailments. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 2 Corinthians 5.8 We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. Praise God. I love 15, 42 through 44, the same chapter says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual power. If there is, any, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. We can overcome the fear of death by meditating on God's promises of his heavenly kingdom. I love Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My citizenship as an American is secondary to my citizenship of God's kingdom. Amen. Amen. And that's why as Christians we represent another kingdom as the Bible says over and over again that we are ambassadors serving the King of Kings. Amen. Amen. And we do it peacefully, and we do it lovingly, and we share the gospel with people. And Jesus says if they reject the message of, of the peace of the gospel, you wipe the dirt off your feet, and then you go to the next place. Because it's a message of hope, but he doesn't force people like robots. They must receive it in faith, loving him. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled, John 14. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many, ma many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, he's been preparing that place for almost 2,000 years, as Keith Green would say. And if he made this earth in six days, what do you think it's going to look like after 2,000 years? Right? I love 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, uh, nor has mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's awesome. But God's revealed it to us by his Spirit. We get victory over death and suffering that accompanies death and we can have victory over that fear of the suffering that accompanies us because many people fear the suffering that leads up to death by putting our trust in the Lord. Romans 8, 18 and 19. I don't think I've ever quoted so many verses throughout a message in Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. I consider that our present sufferings, what we go through in this world, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Talking about the resurrection, the heavenly kingdom. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18, one of my favorite passages on suffering. 
for our light and momentary troubles. The troubles that we go through, you guys, are light and momentary. They're, they're, they're temporal. They're light and momentary compared to something else. What? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, the first few verses, that the things that are physical that we see before us are made of things that you can't see. Now when that was written, that's in Hebrews, which we started with the book Hebrews, in the first few verses of chapter uh, 1, that we're, I'm sorry, the first few verses of chapter 11, that the physical things you see are made of things that are not seen. You know, like now we know we're made of atoms, right? And that atoms have particles and so forth, and you can't see them. In fact, you can see the effects of them, you know, with the microscopes, but they really can't see. They have to measure things, you know. But it's mind-boggling when you think about it. It's just like the wind, you can't see it, but you know it exists. But guess what? There is an invisible world to a spiritual world that we long for, and we look to that which is eternal, meaning God has greater purposes than all that we see. Now, sometimes we fear death because we see people that are just, while they're too young to die, when a child dies, it just breaks your heart, right? But when people in our fellowship that have, you know, Lola had just passed, you know, not long ago, she was relatively young, you know. And before her, Robert had died, Robert Severin, you know. Both just great, loving people. It's like, Lord, why did they have to go? Well, guess what? You get bummed out when somebody leaves that just loves the Lord. And, well, guess what? It's a, it's, a, it's a party in heaven, right? You know, it's not, just, it's not all about us. In fact, it's interesting. Listen to this. The Bible reveals to us that sometimes the Lord will take away the righteous from the earth. He'll take certain righteous people to spare them from evil to come. Isaiah 57 verse 1 and 2 says this. The righteous perish and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to spare them from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace and they will find rest as, uh, as they lie in death. Is that heavy? That's a heavy passage, man, you know. But I'm like, Lord, Paul said, I'm torn between two desires. One is to stay here so I can bear fruit because he wants to bring people to Christ and strengthen the church. The other is to go and be with you, which he says is very much better. Amen? And that's, that's where we should be at as Christians. We should want to long to be with the Lord, but we should also want to be here to bear fruit for his kingdom. We can overcome the fear of death by simply trusting in the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? The psalmist cries out to the Lord and, and trusts in the Lord. Be merciful to me, O God. When I'm afraid, I trust in you. And in, in God I trust. Put faith in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. I trust. I will, be, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Record my lament. List my fears on your scroll. God is for me. That's Psalm 56, 1, 3, 4, and 8. Psalm 57, the first couple verses, and then verse 7 says, Have mercy, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your ring, wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to the God the Most High. My heart is steadfast. O God, my heart is steadfast. We overcome the fear of death by thinking about how God specializes, He specializes in delivering people from death. Amen. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. Some translations will not come into condemnation. He has crossed over from death to life. Amen? Now we're talking about spiritual life, eternal life. We'll die physically unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime. We'll die physically, but guess what? Spiritually, Jesus says, he that keeps my word will never see death spiritually speaking. 
because Christ is the life. He is eternal life. Jesus described it that he's the, he's the vine and we're the branches. And if we're branches and we're abiding in him who is the life, we will share his life. The Bible says life is in the son because no one of us here is self-sufficient. No one of us here is, has immortality in of, of ourselves. The Bible says God alone possesses immortality. He alone is self-existent. Any kind of immortality you can have is in relation to what? Him giving it to you through being related to him and organically joined to him as part of the body of Christ or like a, a branch in a vine, amen, through faith in Christ. So we can overcome the fear of death through trusting him who gives us eternal life. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55 says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? <laughs> where, oh, death, is your sting? Because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, and the fact we can put trust in him, we're able to overcome death, or he gives us the victory because he overcame death. Amen? Oh, death, where is your sting? You know? Death stings. It's, it hurts. It's painful. You go to a funeral, there's just weeping, especially those who are closest to the person has died. And it, it can be very, very painful. But you know what? Jesus takes the sting out of death. Sometimes I tell that old story, I just love it, where the little girl's in the back of, of the, you know, the, the truck and, and she's screaming and crying because she's driving. Her mom and dad are up front. They're going on vacation. There's a, a bee, just a big old bumblebee flying around her head and she's panicking. She's screaming. She's crying. And then all of a sudden, she stops crying. <laughs> And then all of a sudden she starts crying again. And her dad says, don't, don't cry anymore. And the beast's going around her head still and she's able to stop crying. Because her dad snatched that bee, you know, flying around her head in his hand. Ah! Took the stinger, man. Let it go. He's got stingers in his hand, but that, that stinger's gone, man. And then when she sees the stinger in his hand, she realizes, wow, this thing can't hurt me. Still ugly, though. Still can, still can bug me. But the more I think about my dad's hand, the less I have to worry about it, amen? And the more you think about how Jesus, his hands are nail-pierced, his feet are nail-pierced, he is risen from the dead. And the Bible says, even in heaven, in Revelation chapter 5, when Jesus takes a seven-sealed scroll out of the hand of the Father and unleashes the seal judgments, the, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments on the earth during the tribulation period to come against the coming new world order that will be under Antichrist, and judgments begin to fall on the earth, and he begins to judge them. And he, when he takes that scroll, John says, I saw a lamb as it had been slain. He still has that, those wounds. The, the resurrection, I mean, they're, they're scars. He's healed, but they, he still bears those marks of his great love. Can you imagine that, man? The creator of the universe bears the scars that he bore in love for us. Again, you could not come up with a better story. Yet this is a historical narrative filled with prophecy and fulfillments and a reality with eyewitnesses and Guess what? Hundreds of millions of people on the planet, their lives have been changed, amen, through Christ. There's living witnesses today because I was way different before I came to know Christ. You go to AA meeting, NA meeting, CA meeting, and guess what? You may get off some drug, but you don't get this joy in your heart that comes from the Holy Spirit, amen, and the love of God that changes your life. It's supernatural. There's a transformation that takes place in the lives of believers where they have new desires, new motivations, you know. It's just amazing. So, we overcome the fear of death through meditating also on the fact that we will be with the Lord Jesus. In fact, Philippians 1.21 says, For to me, to live is Christ, to live is Christ right now, and to die is gain. 
Romans 14, 8. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? I love that, you guys. John 14, 3, Jesus says, if I, and I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be with me, may be where I am. Isn't that awesome? We're to be with Jesus. Meditate upon that reality. Especially if you're facing death, I'm going to be with Jesus. And believe me, there's no person you'd rather be with than Jesus. If you're forgiven, that is, and you know him, right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, meaning that's a metaphor for death, sleep, those who fall asleep, or to grieve as the rest of men. We're not supposed to grieve over death like everybody else grieves. doesn't say we're not to grieve at all. It says we don't grieve in the same way that they grieve. We still grieve. We're going to miss our loved ones, amen? It's going to hurt our hearts, but we don't have to fear eternal separation from God. We don't grieve the way they grieve who have no hope because they don't have hope. They grieve differently. See, a lot of times people go to a funeral, man, and they're just grieving, grief-stricken. They go and get drunk right afterwards. Try to quell it. Doesn't get rid of it. Doesn't change things. Just makes you drunk. Sad, actually. We don't have to do that as believers, man. We say, man, we put our trust in Jesus. He knows best, amen. Someone dies in the Lord, we know right where they're at. We can rejoice. In fact, we have celebrations, amen. When Lola died, we had a celebration. When Robert died, we had a celebration. We just go through all you know, different saints that died here through the years. And the Bible says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. Amen? Amen. So you got to, oh, well, how come, guess what? God's, come on, man, our brains compared to God's infinite, you know, understanding. You trust him. We believe that, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, will be reunited with our loved ones in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. After that, we who are alive and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. We overcome the fear of death, knowing that the Lord can deliver us from death. Psalm 57, verse 3 and verse 10, the Lord delivers me. He hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed. He will hold me up or sustain me, for you have delivered my soul from death and my feet from stumbling. That's Psalm 56, 13. 57, 3 and 10 is, he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. So great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. I love that, man. His faithfulness reaches to the skies. So we can put our trust in him. If we're crying out to him and it's not our time to die, he'll deliver us. If it's our time to die, he'll deliver us into his hands because he loves us. Amen. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We can overcome death through appreciating the great privilege we have as believers. Philippians 1.21, what I mentioned earlier, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, goes on to say, for I am, if I go on living in this body, this will meet, remain, mean fruitful labor for me. And that's what it should mean for each of us. If we're still alive in this earth, we should be having fruitful labor for the Lord. We should be serving Him, amen? Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Uh, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is, ver- which is better by far. In the Greek, there's two adjectives before, you know, it's very much better. It's almost awkward because it's just, he's expressing how much better it's going to be to be with the Lord. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for the progress and joy in the faith. I love that. So we get to be with the Lord. It's a privilege. It's precious in the sight of God, we mentioned. We get victory over the fear of death uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
because Jesus, as we mentioned earlier, is a resurrection life. He has power over the devil. In John 1.18, Jesus said, uh, when he appears before John the Apostle, John the Apostle was exiled under Domitian, the emperor, for preaching the gospel to the Isle of Patmos. Okay? Uh, we know this from Polycarp, who was a disciple of John's, by way of Irenaeus, who was a disciple of, of, of Polycarp. We have Irenaeus's writings against heresies, which are some of the most voluminous and most radical New or early church writings in the second century right? Early second century and so forth. Uh, Mind-boggling. And in the 90s, he was exiled to, to Patmos, the island. And when Jesus appeared to him to give him the book Revelation, his face shined like the sun in his resurrected form, man, you know? And John fell before him, it says, as a dead man. And in J Revelation 1.18, it says, John says, Jesus laid his right hand upon him and said, fear not, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of Hades and death. Amen? He has the keys of Hades, whereby people are separated from him. Uh, and also the keys of death. Amen? He has victory over death. We can rejoice and have overcome the fear of death because when we come to Christ, we too have victory over death. Well, how so? It's awesome when you think about it, man. See, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. Everyone sinned. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And you know what? There's people that, relative to other people, they more live more righteous lives than others. But compared to God, Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is what? Perfect. We all fall radically short of God's standard. The Bible says, be holy as he who called you is holy. None of us are holy like that. Amen. We all have a problem if we're admitting that deep down in our hearts, we have this problem called sin. We have shame. We have guilt for breaking the moral law of God. And the crazy thing is, is it's really a universal, people know deep down that they have guilt, okay? And we feel bad when we do things. That's from our conscience with knowledge that there's certain things that are right and wrong, okay? There's things that are immaterial, that aren't part of the material world, like your thoughts. You can't put your thoughts in a bottle, you know? And, and, ex and examine them in the physical world. We're, there's, a, you know, the spiritual side, the soul side. And guess what? When we sin, we have that sense of moral guilt. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you earn, right? What we earn because of our sin, death. That's why death has come into the world. And as I mentioned earlier, Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed a man wants to die. But after this, the judgment, there's a fear of eternal judgment, as I mentioned, when people die, they're not concerned about how good their golf game was. They're concerned about what people think of them and who they are and how they treated people. Oftentimes, they'll, they'll get in touch with people or ask people to say they're sorry to other people. Uh, they'll lament. They'll have pain and anguish because, they're, you know, it's just amazing. But guess what? Jesus came to rectify, to take away our guilt because of sin and give us victory over sin and teach us to live a righteous life. But more so, even he came to forgive us our sin through his death on the cross. Amen? His burial and his resurrection. He died and tasted death for every one of us to deliver us from the fear of death by which we were enslaved, enslaved all our lives. So we're physically separate, we're spiritually separated from God because of sin. The Bible says, God says in Isaiah 55, your sins have made a separation between you and me. Sin separates us from God because the Bible says God cannot look upon evil and approve the evil. He can't approve evil. And the God says, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? We're going the opposite direction of God. So what has to happen? 
Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. We have to receive new life because we're spiritually dead. We're separate from God. He is the life. God is the life. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So guess what? When we're separated from God, we're separated from the life of God. We're spiritually dead. We need to be reunited to God and be given that spiritual life. Amen? Because the same God that gives physical life, life begets life. Physically, he gives us spiritual life. And Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That means the Lord has to come back to live in me. How is he going to bridge this gap between me and him that's been created by my sin? My sin has created this great chasm, this huge barrier between me and him. God becomes a man, and he dies in my place. He dies in your place. He takes the sin that we committed, that we're guilty of, and he pays the fine himself because he's a God of love. The Bible says God is holy, 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 but it also says that God is love. He dies in your place. He dies in my place. Amen? So we can be forgiven of our sins. So we can have eternal life. So he brings a bridge over that chasm between us and him. And that bridge is Jesus who said again, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why is he the only way to the Father? Because Buddha did not pay for your sins. Because Muhammad did not pay for your sins. These guys were admittedly sinners, okay? Only God could pay the price. The Bible says the soul is costly and no brother can redeem his brother from sin because the soul is costly we don't have the ability to do it i have my own sin as much as i'd love to help you with your sin and help be you be forgiven i can't do it man i got my own problems thank god he came and died for all of us so all of us could be saved amen that's why jesus died on the cross man so you could have eternal life so we were in double trouble double trouble what ways two ways man sin you're guilty of sin. I'm guilty of sin. All of us are guilty of sin. That's one trouble. Huge trouble. Number two, you have a sinful, fallen nature that's bent on rebellion against God. You wake up in the morning want to do your own thing and not be submitted to God. That's your flesh. Amen. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins so we can get rid of that first problem and be forgiven. Amen. But he died on the cross and he rose again and conquered the grave also to get rid of the second problem so he can come to live in our lives and we be reconciled to him and he can give us the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. We are partakers of the divine nature, God in us. Amen. Giving us power and strength to overcome the fleshly nature where we can live now by his grace and his power and live victorious lives over lives of rebellion instead of lives of rebellion against him. Amen. What an awesome, awesome God we have. And God, God invites us. The Lord God says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. You say, Jesus, I'm going to confess you as, as Lord. You're Lord. You're Master. You're, you're, you're the Lord, not me. And believe in your heart. That's repentance, by the way. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's faith. Raised him from the dead. That God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If you confess through the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You know what it means to confess? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know how glorious that is? Okay. The Greek word confess there in 1 John 1, 9 is homo legeo. Homo means same. Legeo is from logos, which means word or to speak. Homo legeo means to speak the same words as God speaks. It means to say what God says. It means to agree with him that I'm a sinner. That's the problem. The problem in our world is not lack of money. The problem in our world if we loved our neighbors ourselves, it's not lack of resources. Do you realize if everybody shared and loved one another, we wouldn't have a problem with lack of resources? 
The problem in our world is not any amount of things that you constantly hear in the news. The problem with our world is a lack of love for God and one another, a lack of love for neighbors and self, a lack of love for our enemies. It's called sin, okay? That's a problem. That's a fundamental problem with the world, and that's why God did send an economist, amen? Okay, he sent who? He's God, he, God sent his only begotten son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He sent the second person of the triune Godhead to rectify our situation, to die in our place. And Jesus says, come to me, come to me, come to me, not some of you, not most of you, come to me, all of you who are weary, you're tired, and heavily burdened. We're all burdened by our sin. We ought to be if we don't know him, right? And I will give you rest for your souls. He'll give you forgiveness. He'll give you rest. He'll give you peace. Amen? I trip out, man. When I'm around with my brothers and sisters in Christ, there's just joy. Just a lot of people love the Lord. I spend all kinds of hours with, I mean, I'm living with my wife and, and uh, I think I live with the whole church now. <laughs> Everybody's always over, you know. It's awesome. But so many people just love Jesus. And you don't find that anywhere on the earth with this is joy. It's because God changes our hearts, amen. He gives us new life. Now he created us all in his image, all humans, amen. But guess what? The Bible says when we come to Christ, he renews the image that we're created in inwardly according to holiness and truth. I Meaning we begin to understand spiritual truth and who we are. Instead of having spiritual amnesia and not knowing our past and being befuddled about what the future holds. Wow, we know the past. We know that we lost our connection and our relationship with God and we know our future in Him. So as Christians of all people, we should not have the fear of death. Amen? Doesn't mean you won't struggle with it at times, but it means there's ways to overcome it by meditating on the Lord and His Word and the things we just talked about. Amen? And even what you go through, even whatever you face, Jesus, the Lord promises he works all things together for the good, for those who love the, the Lord God, right? Those who love him are the ones who are called according to his purpose, man. If you just love him and look to him, he works all things together. Doesn't mean everything that happens is good, but he works all things together. Together he works them for the good, amen? What a good God we have. That's why we put our trust in him. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, Wow, there's a ton of you way back there, man, on both sides. That's awesome. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and uh, I'm encouraging you. We say this every Sunday pretty much. I try to get this out every Sunday. And you, and you can be saved. You can know the Lord. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can become right with God. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. It says you must become like a little child to be converted, Jesus said, to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to admit your dependence on God, that he's bigger than us and that we need him. And you have to say, I'm a sinner. Humble yourself and say, yeah, I, I admit I'm a sinner. God, have mercy on me. Remember the guy? The, the guy that beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me? And he was too ashamed to even look up to God? Jesus said, that man left right with God. He, ju he was justified. You can be right with God and leave here saved today. Trust in the Lord, Amen. And know you'll be with him for eternity. The Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder if Jesus died for you. You don't have to wonder if he would choose you. He died for whosoever will, whoever comes to him. Amen. Can have forgiveness of sins. Amen. So I encourage you right now. Let's bow our hearts. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to be saved, just say, God, have mercy on me. I know I'm a sinner. I know you're bigger than me. I know that you're, you have to be an amazing God. And I ask for forgiveness. I thank you that you love me so much that you sent your son to die in my place. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I turn from a life of doing my own thing and I embrace, in a life of sin, I embrace you, Father, in the name of Jesus and put my trust in Jesus. 
to take away my sins. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he, was, he rose again and conquered the grave. I trust, put my trust in him in Jesus' name.